Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Today, the title of our message is Seeking the Right Way. Seeking the Right Way. I thought about calling it You Got the Right One Baby, but I decided to go with Seeking the Right Way was better. Sorry, that's old jokes for older people. Oh boy, I'm going to get some young, fresh, relevant things. If you got that, then I'm sorry, you're with me. But here at the Rhodes Church, we're going to talk about seeking the right way. We believe the Bible is the right way, so we get excited when we open them up today. Let's go. E-Rhodes family, Mount Carmel campus, North City. Let's get pumped about the Bible. Open them up to Ezra chapter 8. Woo! Ezra chapter 8. Are you excited about Ezra? Do you know where Ezra is? If you don't know where Ezra is, go to the book of Psalms right in the middle and turn left. You're going to run into it eventually. It's Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So go backwards from Job and Esther and uh, Nehemiah and then Bamo, Ezra. Seeking the right way. How many want to do things the right way? Many times there is a right way and a wrong way. Sometimes there's things that are a little gray. You're like, eh, there's no right or wrong to that. But some things there absolutely is a right way. So we want to look at that. We want to seek to do things the right way. Ezra chapter 8, I want to start reading in verse 21. The context of the scripture is they were, these were people leaving bondage or leaving captivity, and they're going to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. The king has given them permission, finances, resources. So you've heard about Nehemiah rebuilding the, the walls. Well, Ezra was also part of that. So Ezra and Nehemiah are together in Scripture, Ezra and Nehemiah, chronologically because they were there hand in hand. Ezra was the prophet working with Nehemiah who was the governor. So Nehemiah was in charge of helping build the wall, but Ezra was in charge of helping rebuild the temple and the spiritual side of that as well. So verse 21, they're heading back to Jerusalem. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all of our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, here's something important to remember, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. How many knows? Let me be very clear. It's good to be on the side of God. Here's what it says. The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. Now jump back to verse 21. Again, as we get ready to start our prayer and fasting time, if you're new to the Rhodes Church, here's what we do. At the beginning of every calendar year, we set aside 21 days for prayer and fasting. Now, what is fasting? Fasting, biblically, definition, is doing without food for a spiritual purpose. So it's not just doing without food. That's called starving. Doing without food for a purpose. So now, instead of eating, you do something else. That's what fasting is. So instead of eating, they would pray more or they would worship more. So that's what they said. They called, they, they called for, proclaimed a fast 
And this is what they did because they were seeking the face of God, seeking God's help. So at the, verse, at the 21 days, it's not going to be actually the first 21 days this year. We're going to start on the 3rd, which is a Sunday, and we'll end on the 24th, which is a Sunday. So we're going to start and stop together. So we're going to begin to fast. Now you can fast whatever. That's the biblical definition, doing without food for a, a spiritual purpose. The American version is doing without something that you want to do without so you can still be comfortable and live your life how you want to live your life. That's the American version. But I encourage you to pray about it. Not, not saying that you need to do without food completely or entirely, but I'm telling you fasting is about humbling ourselves and seeking God, putting aside something important to us for something more important. That's why the Bible talks, God talks about fasting with food because there's nothing more important than food. You have to have food to live. So when you set aside food, God's like, whoa. They're setting aside food. That means they're serious about seeking after me. So that's why we do that, just to set aside time. It's a biblical principle. This whole sermon's not about fasting, but it's uh, not something weird churches do. It's not something radical people do. Jesus said this in Matthew. You can find him. He says, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. So that's why we give you an opportunity to do it. You don't have to do it. If you're a member here, you go here, E-Roads Family Watch, you don't have to do it, but we just give you an opportunity to do it. So if you want to join in, that's great. We'd love to have you be a part of it because we want to join together for this reason. We're doing it this. In verse 21, here's what he said. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might. So this is the purpose of the fast. We proclaimed a fast at the Rhodes Church that we might, number one, there it is in your Bible, humble ourselves before our God. What's the first purpose in calling a fast? Here's one of the benefits of, of doing a fast. Number one is to humble ourselves before God. Prayer and fasting is a way to humble ourselves before God. That humble ourselves is a Hebrew word that means to bow down, to reduce or lower yourself in authority, priority, or status. When it says we are calling a fast that we might humble ourselves, this is about position, rank, or accountability. It's like, who do you answer to? Who are you accountable to? When it says you bow down to lower yourself, to reduce yourself in authority, priority, or status, it's literally humbling yourself, is literally bowing down to something that's greater. When we talk about humbling yourself, it's literally you doing it yourself. Humbling is not something God does to you. It's something God asks us to do to ourselves. A lot of times in religion, people talk about, well, God's just doing this to humble me. No, no, no. God's principle is for us to humble ourselves, to lower ourselves in priority and rank and value and say, God, you are more important than I am. I lower myself that you will be lifted up. That's what fasting does. It lowers yourself. It's about humbling yourself. It's about being accountable to someone bigger. So the question to you and I is this, who are you accountable to? Who do you bow down to? Who is a, a, in a higher position than you? How, how do, who, uh, who do you respond to as far as doing what you want when you want to do it? Who is Lord of your life? Who do you run things by? When, who makes you do things that you don't want to do? There's nobody. I answered nobody. Okay, well then look in the mirror and say, hello, God, because that is your God. If there's nobody in your life that you bow down to and say, I do whatever you tell me to do when you tell me to do it, then you are your God. 
And let me just tell you something. We are terrible gods. There has to be, so there's a humbling. Fasting is about, and prayer and fasting is about humbling and saying, God, I am not the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of my life. Who makes you do the hard things that you don't want to do? Those are questions we have to ask ourselves. There's nobody that, that, uh, that can control your life like Jesus can if you allow him to, but you've got to give him permission. So humble ourselves. Let me give you a scripture. Hold your finger there, and let's go to James chapter 4. We'll come back to Ezra. Humbling yourself is always an awesome message point that people get excited about. The electricity in the room is almost tangible as people are so excited about fasting and humbling themselves. They can't wait to start it. Please wait. It's not till January 3rd. I know you want to start today, but just wait if you can till January 3rd. Hebrews, James. Let me get to James chapter 4. Humbling ourselves is difficult because we like to be the boss of ourselves. Right? How many times have you heard your kids say, you're not the boss of me? I've heard mine say it to their siblings many times. You're not the boss of me. Well, the question to you is, who is the boss of you? Who's the boss of you? Who's the one who calls the shots? I can't be the boss of my life. Jesus has to be the boss of my life. I've got to submit myself to him. Look what it says in James chapter 4. Therefore, submit to What's the next word there? Therefore, submit to, I got two people working with me. Therefore, submit to, right, just make sure you're tracking with me. Who are we supposed to submit to? Submit to, God. submit to God. That word submit means to be obedient, to bring under control of, to submit to the orders or directives of someone. Who do you do that to? Who do you submit to? It says, therefore, submit to God. That's step one. Submit to God. Number two, after we submit to God, the next part is to resist the devil. That word resist means to stand against him, to oppose him, to stand against what he throws at you, to physically and mentally and spiritually oppose what he's offering. So there's two steps to the process. Number one, we submit to God. And then after we submit to God, we resist the temptations and, the, and whatever the enemy would throw at us. Two parts to that are crucially important. We submit to God and we resist the devil and look what comes next. And then he will flee from you. Speaking of the devil, he will flee from you. What does the word flee mean? It means to run away, to move quickly from a point or area. Now listen to this definition. I want to slow down and I'll read this to you quickly. Or read, slow down and read it to you. But I want you to hear me what I'm saying here. To run away, remember this is the devil fleeing from you. To run away from you, to move quickly from you, from a point or area in order to avoid presumed danger or difficulty to escape. Who's the one fleeing in this passage? The devil. Who's he fleeing from? He's fleeing from the one who's submitted to God and the one who's resisting him. And so who is the victim here? The victim is not the devil or not you, the victim is the devil. He's the one that's afraid of you. He's the one that's trying to escape you. He's trying to get away from the danger that is you. When you submit to God and you resist the, the devil, you are dangerous to the enemy. He's not fleeing the guy who can bench press 300 pounds. He's not scared of him. But he is scared to death of the one who would submit to God and will resist his temptation. That's the real man. That's the real woman. The person who will submit to God and resist the flesh and temptation, that is power. 
Any pantywaist weakling can sin. It takes someone of courage and some, it takes someone of courage and moxie, whatever words you want to use. I got some other ones running around the track, but it takes someone with some boldness and courage to resist temptation and to serve God. I'm telling you, that's, that's a man. That's a woman that's filled with power of God. And he says, this is the one that the devil's going to flee from you. He says, cleanse your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Here's verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves. So as we get to seeking the right way, here's the first point. Go back to Ezra chapter 8. Then I proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves. Here's the first thing as you prepare your hearts for this prayer and fasting time. It's to lower yourself and say, I'm not the most important person in the world. God is. Who do you answer to? Who do you answer to? Do you answer to yourself or do you answer to God? Do you do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it? Then you're God. There has to be someone that can tell you no, that can tell your flesh no. There's got to be someone in your life that you submit to and say, even though I want to do this with every fiber of my being, I will answer to you, God, and I will do what you tell me to do, and I won't do what you tell me not to do. That is submitting to God. When my flesh wants to do this, there has to be that person in your life. For, for me, I, as a man, I can't say, well, I'm the head of my house. I'll do what I want when I want to do it. So if Don and I get in an argument, which never happens, but if it would happen, it has happened, hasn't it? Yeah. So let's say we're not talking and uh, not speaking to each other. Maybe we're, not, maybe we're just on the outs, as they say. Ultimately, there has to be somebody I submit to. That's God. That I can do it for a little while, but eventually God starts knocking on my heart because he knows that he's Lord. And I've made him Lord. So I got to answer to him. Eventually, I got to go back to him. And he's going to say, hey, what's up? How come you're not talking to Don? Well, because she did it. Yeah, yeah. Go apologize. <laughs> yeah, right. Get behind me, Satan. She's going to roll up and apologize to me any minute now. But if I'm truly submitted to God, then whatever I don't want to do, I got to do. He's Lord. That's what I'm talking about, submitted to God. I'm not talking about doing things you want to do. I'm talking about the hard things. Humble ourselves to submit to God. Now, that's number one. We humble ourselves before God. And then number two, to seek from him the right way for us, our little ones, and our possessions. To seek from him. Here's the second reason we're praying and fasting is to seek from him. To seek, that means to search out, to strive after, diligence in requiring, in acquiring information, to seek after God. We have to seek after God. What does that mean? It's not that God's just going to come upon us in our Instagram feed. It's that we got to go after him. We got to look for him. We got to pursue him. Seek for him. Hide and seek would be a terrible game if you counted and you never went and looked for someone. If you say, okay, you count to 20 and I'm going to go hide and they never come and find you. Two days later, you come out of the closet, you're like, what's up? Like, I don't know, I just didn't want to come look for you. That's a terrible game. But that's what God's saying. I want you to seek me. 
That's what God is asking to do in prayer and fasting is we seek him. We're looking for him. We're trying to hunt him down. We're not trying to avoid him. We're seeking him. Not just on Sundays. We're seeking him every day. We're looking for him. We're looking for him every morning before we start our day. We're God, we're going to seek after you. We want to find you. The Bible says we will find God if we search for him with all of our hearts. We got to seek him. I just wish God would do more in your life. We'll seek after him. He promises if you'll seek him, you will find. The problem is in our life, we're not seeking him. We're not seeking him. We're hoping he shows up in, in our convenience, but are we moving out of our convenience to do something inconvenient to find him? That's what God's asking us to do. Seeking for him. Seeking from him speaks to our source. Here's what we're seeking from him. We're seeking from him the right way. Somebody say the right way. The right way. We're seeking from him the right way. What does the word right way mean? That means straight, pertaining to not being crooked. Right way versus the wrong way. In many things in life, it's important for us to remember there is a right way. And I want to say this to, uh, to you that it's important for us to figure out what is the right way and we're going to have to make a choice. Are we going to live the right way or the wrong way? Here's what uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah just dropped a bomb on the people. They were, trying, they were like serving Baal and serving God. They, had, they, were trying to, they were kind of mixed on what they were going to do. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. He said, hey, sorry, hey, you want to serve Baal? If Baal's God, then go ahead and serve Baal. But if God is God, then serve God. In other words, you got to get off the fence Decide who you're going to serve. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve yourself. He's laying it out there. You can play church and I'm, well, I come and I attend and I sit in the service. No, no, no. Don't you either serve God or you don't serve God. He's either Lord of, of, of all or he's not Lord at all. That's what he's saying. Even Joshua says it this way in Joshua 24. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then go on. Don't serve God. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that your, your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you, well, you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, we're going to seek from him the right way, the right way. We want to serve God the right way. We choose this day whom we will serve. We will serve God. We will separate. We're not going to be gray. We're going to be crystal clear. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of God, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's who we're going to serve. The right way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Well, Chad, calm down. Pipe down. There's many ways to God. We're not judging people. I'm not judging people. Let God be the judge. But the Bible says there is only one way, and it's the right way. I don't say that to make anybody mad. I make it to, say, to help people find the right way. Look what he says. Three things are going to find the right way. The right way for us. The right way for us. It starts with us. It's about personal devotion. The right way for us. He said we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to seek from him the right way for us. First and foremost, it starts with you. It starts with you. You seek him for yourself. 
Not talking about in a selfish way. I'm talking about self-application. I'm not talking about only think of me. I'm talking about apply the principles of the gospel to yourself first instead of looking at other people. And when they need to get their life right, you focus on yourself and saying, God, convict me first. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. For us. Seek for us. So, in other words, you personally, are you answering the call for God? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you allowing God to be your convictor? Are you allowing God? Are you allowing God to show you the right way to be a spouse? For you. Are you allowing God to show you the right way to be a son or a daughter? Are you allowing God to show you the right way to be a a college student? Are you allowing God to show you the right way to be a teenager? Are you allowing God to show you the right way to be in a dating situation with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Are you allowing God to define the boundaries in your relationship? Well, I I just don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just don't think it's wrong. As long as I don't think as the judge, then I am the God. But seek from him the right way, because I just don't think it's wrong for boyfriends and girlfriends to have sex before marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, it doesn't matter about my way, it's his way. We're going to seek from him the right way, not from me the right way, how I feel. We're going to seek from him the right way, not because uh, it's more moral, because it's the right way. Man, when I try and tell this to people, I learn. I've lived for the devil, and I've lived for God. God is a better way. It's just better. I promise you it's better. I know there's times this other way feels right, it feels good, it's temporal, and you're like, yes. But I'm telling you, living for Jesus is the right way. Hands down. If you don't agree with it, then live for the devil. Go ahead and live for the devil. You'll be back. You'll be back. He will steal, kill, and destroy from your life until you're a miserable mess And he will leave you for dead and he will condemn you about being a mess and being separated from God. He will kick you in the mouth and say, yeah, you don't deserve anything. He will leave you for dead and Jesus will still be opening his arms saying, I love you. Come on home. That's the difference. That's the big difference. Jesus never stops loving you, never stops calling you, never never stops welcoming you. But the devil will just string you out and get you out of a place of sin and then he will cut you off and then he will kick you in the head and say, you deserve everything you get. He's terrible. Do not listen to his voice. So we got to seek it for us. And then the second part, we want to seek it for us, for our little ones, for our little ones, for our children. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up in a child in the way that he should go or the way that he should go. And when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. Notice that it does not say train up in a child in the way that they want to go. Make sure you're listening. Train up a child in the way that they feel like they should go. It's train up a child in the way they should go. Parents, the right way for your kids is not always going to get their stamp of approval. Just like God's right way for my life doesn't always get my stamp of approval. Everything he wants me to do, I don't always go, woohoo! I get to forgive that person that just totally... Yeah. 
I, no, there's things that he asks you to do that's hard, that's difficult, but it's for your good. Same way for our kids. There's things that you're going to train them up to do, teach them to do, give them boundaries because it's the right way. And they're going to rebel against it. They're going to resist it. They're not going to like it at times. But you keep doing it. You're responsible for what you do. You're not responsible for how they respond to what you do. Parenting 101. Sometimes they're going to say, oh, you're the best, Dad. You're the best. Oh, you're wonderful. You're awesome. Dad, I can't believe you don't understand. All that happens, and I'm the same dad. So I'm telling you, we're going to seek the right way from him. The right way. Sometimes the right way stinks. Sometimes the right way is hard. Sometimes we don't understand the right way in the moment because we, we see in part and we only we understand in part. And God sees the end from the beginning and he's telling you to do this and you don't understand why. You don't know how it's going to play out. You don't understand the benefit of it in the long run. But if you will trust him and submit to him, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's good like that. So we do it for our, for our little ones. And it doesn't just mean our kids. It's also people that you're speaking into. So we're going to seek the right way from him for the people that are coming after us, for our heritage. I'm thankful that people before me sought the right way and I get to step in and benefit from the right way that they paved for me. So some people, what I'm concerned about in our country right now is some things that's going on. And I wanted to continue on or let no one deceive you, but we'll do that in January, maybe pick that back up because there's some fresh things that I want to talk about. But what I'm concerned about is some people that see what's going on in our country and they're not as concerned about it because they think the ripple effect of it's not going to happen in their lifetime and they say well that's just going to happen later so because it's going to happen later then they don't think it's a big deal but I care about what my children are going to have to be raised up in what my grandchildren are going to have to be raised up in my great-grandchildren I want to fight today for what they're going to experience in their life and this is what God's asking us to do there was a, one of the saddest things in the Bible, I don't have time to go into it, but a man by Hezekiah received a prophecy, said these things are going to happen, the nation's going to fall away from God, and it's going to happen, your children's going to be taken into bondage, and your grandchildren's going to be taken into captivity. And he said out of his mouth to the prophet, he said, well, at least it won't happen in my day. That's the attitude of many in the United States of America right now. And I'm telling you, we need to stand for what's right for our little ones as well as ourselves. Thirdly. Thirdly, we're going to seek the wisdom from God, the right way for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. Here's what that word possessions means. That word possessions means stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is the manager. If I can give an example of what stewardship looks like. Imagine yourself, let's say you work for a boss who has a chain of uh, stores, We'll call them just um, half-dollar stores, just so I don't infringe on anybody's trademark name. So you are, are, he puts you in as a manager of one of the half-dollar stores. He's got many of these half-dollar stores. And so the, the owner of these half-dollar stores puts out agendas and initiative and what's he wants, what he or she wants to take place in all of these half-dollar stores. And, and you're the manager, so you're responsible for that store. So the productivity of that store, the profitability of that store, how everything takes place in that store, you are responsible for that. If the owner wants to do something through that store, then he, he or she sends you a memo, sends you an email, says, hey, this is what, you want, what I want you to do. And then you're responsible for executing that instruction from headquarters. That's what steward means. 
You and I are stewards of our bodies. We are stewards of our gifts, our talents, all of our possessions, everything you own. I know we preach about and teach what the Bible says about the tenth, that the first tenth percent belongs to God and we honor him with the tithe. But let me just be very clear. Everything belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything you can do physically, all of your abilities, if you can play basketball or baseball or volleyball or softball, or, all of that comes from God. Your ability to earn, earn money and earn income. You're like, I build my business by my own bootstraps, pull myself up. I run this whole thing. All of it's have the ability, the mental capacity, the cognitive ability you have came from God. Your ability to breathe the ability for your heart to beat came from the Almighty God. The fact that you can wake up of a morning and even think about running your business is because the gift of God on your life that you are stewarding. So the question is, how are we stewarding what he gave us? It says we're going to seek from him the right way for all of our possessions. In other words, it's saying, God, I give you everything that I am. I give you everything that I have. I give you my talents, my abilities. If you want me to use it here, if you want me to give here, all the money, it's yours. I'm trusting that you know how to do it. I'm going to steward it well. Because if you were at that manager at that half dollar store and the owner says, hey, I want you to run a sale today, everything 50% off. And you're like, that's going to cut into my profits. Absolutely not. We're not doing it at this store. Not here. We're going full price. Go against what the owner says. Great possibility that you won't be the manager of that store very long. We're given a responsibility. Here, let me read you this 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man or woman so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here's an important verse I want you to catch. Moreover, it is required, required, not suggested, not requested, required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. We're seeking the right way for us, for our little ones, and all of our possessions. Here's the question I think God's asking you. I, think it's, I know it's what he's asking me. How are you stewarding what God gave you? The abilities he's given you, the talents he's given you, the finances he's given you, the relationships he's given you. How are you stewarding your marriage? How are you stewarding your kids as a parent? How are you stewarding? Man, Holy Spirit's going to apply it, I think, to all of your lives. How are you stewarding what he puts in your hand? Every day that you wake up is a new day. The Bible says he daily loads us down with benefits. His mercies are new every morning. How do I steward the grace of God that he's given to me? How do I steward my free will? Hear me. You're given free will to do whatever you want, when you want, however you want to do it. How do you steward that? God's given you an incredibly powerful gift, free will. God says you can serve him or you don't have to serve him. You can do whatever you want. You never have to call on God. You never have to come to church. You never have to read your Bible. He will let you think every day that you don't need him. He'll let that to happen, but it's a lie. How are you stewarding your free will? What are you doing with it? Are you choosing it to bring him glory or are you choosing it to bring yourself glory? These are things I have to deal with myself too. I'm not throwing shade on you. I'm saying I have to apply it to myself. How am I handling my free will? I wake up, I get to do whatever I want. Am I including God in those plans or am I not? Am I running it through headquarters or am I just doing it like I own the whole thing? I'm a steward. 
I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. I have life in my lungs, breath in my lungs. I have life, heartbeat, because he gave it to me. How do I steward that? I want to answer the call the right way, and I believe you want to do the same. So we're going to seek the right way. Coming up, starting next Sunday, we'll start our prayer and fasting time. And I, I want to give you this week to start seeking God and just asking him, Lord, are there areas in my life where you are not the Lord? Are there areas in my life where you're not in charge? Like, if you would tell me to do something, I would say, uh, negative. Like, if he would say, hey, I need you to get up 30 minutes early, and I want you to spend time praying and read your Bible. <laughs> no. Then you're Lord. I hate to be that plain, but I'm just trying to make it plain for all of us. When there's things that he asks us to do and we will not do in that area, we are Lord. We're the boss. And I'm just telling you, he's a better boss than we are. So what areas? If it's tithing, maybe God's speaking to you about tithing. Maybe it's about your gifts or talents that God's given you and you're not using them the way he wants. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's about your business and you're not uh, honoring God. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's as a kid. You're not honoring your parents. Or maybe, maybe it's with your relationship with your boyfriend and girlfriend and you're not doing it the right way and God's speaking to you saying, do it the right way. You're like, well, I don't know, but he really wants to or she really wants to. But what does God want? What does God want? We have to have a place in our life where we humble and we serve God. He's either God or he's not. He could be just this figurative religion and stories in a book and we come and do services and whatever. But I'm telling you, he's alive and he's well. He's real. He's real. And we're going to see him face to face someday. The reason I do what I do every day is because I am convinced that he's real. I've never seen him. I've never seen an angel. Some people get to see things, seeing the spirit. I get jealous. I'll go pray. I'm like, God, how come I never see you? I want to see something. Just show me some. Show me an angel. Just a boom, just a blur. I don't care. Show me some. I've never seen it to this point in my life. And I want to. But I live my life in faith that I know that someday I'm going to stand before the creator of the universe. And I'm going to bow. Because the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess and say, Jesus, you are Lord. I am not Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.